Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hi, friends. I wanted to really quickly tell you about an event coming up at the end of the month, starting August 31st. It's called the Virtual Summit Women Docs Thinking Outside the Box. It's put on by the Women in White Coats, which is a blog that is all about empowering women physicians, helping them reach the best of their abilities, overcoming microaggressions and other things that women endure in the field of medicine. It's a really, really awesome group of women. The summit will be August 31st to September 4th. It's completely free. They have several speakers that will talk about telemedicine, locums positions, leadership, private practice, concierge medicine, entrepreneurship, coaching, and so much more. It's a really, really great experience. Please click the link in my bio to check it out and take advantage of this really wonderful and free opportunity. Now on to the podcast. Welcome, everybody. I am so, so excited to have Dr. Archana Shrestha here today. She, if you don't know her, which you may already know her, she is an emergency physician, life coach, best-selling author, and entrepreneur. So she does all the things. Um, she is widely known for the Women in White Coats blog as a co-founder. She's on a mission to uplift and empower women doctors. So a really good guest to have on the Imposter Syndrome podcast today. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'm really, really excited to be talking with you today. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to hear whenever I hear about powerful women like you struggling with imposter syndrome and having a history of imposter syndrome. I really love to hear the stories because I think it's women like you who other women me included, think that that's someone who definitely doesn't feel like an imposter ever. So what has your journey um, with imposter syndrome been like? Well, to be honest, Kristen, um, I don't know if I've had imposter syndrome per se. Like I never really thought of it as imposter syndrome yeah. until I heard the term of it being used a few years ago. Um, and actually, probably the very first time I heard about it is in our first book, um, the Chronicles of Women in White Coats, which we published two years ago. And one of the co-authors there, Dr. Alana Biggers, she wrote a chapter on imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. I read it and I was like, oh, that's probably what I was feeling some of the time, you know, as I was going through my training. But, you know, I can't say that um, I totally felt like an imposter for all of my um, training because I actually grew up around medicine. My mom is now a retired family medicine physician. And, you know, I spent a lot of time, um, like when I was a teenager, like working in her office and I would do some filing for her. I would sometimes be like the secretary and, you know, book her appointments for her. And even as a kid, I grew up seeing my mom um, as a doctor and sometimes she would take me on rounds with her to the hospital. She was in solo private practice. So I really grew up around medicine. And then, of course, she had some friends who were doctors and some of them were women, not all. A lot of them were were her male colleagues, but she definitely had some female colleagues. And so um, I kind of grew up seeing women being doctors. And I certainly, because of my gender, didn't necessarily feel like I was an imposter or anything like that. Yeah. Um, sometimes um, I used to struggle with, um, was I going into medicine for the right reason? Or was mm -hmm. I doing it because of my parents wanting me to go into medicine and it's sort of being in a way the family business, you know, both me and my brother ended up becoming doctors and my parents certainly encouraged us to explore it. And I, um, in undergrad ended up writing for the school newspaper and, um, 
loved, started to fall in love with journalism. And my brother also had a girlfriend at the time who was um, doing journalism school at Northwestern. And I was like, this is amazing. This is so exciting. And so I, um, after I finished, finished my undergrad, I had actually already gotten into medical school. I decided to take a year and explore journalism more just to make sure I was going to be doing the right thing if I was actually going to medical school because I loved both things. And so I went away for a year and um, did a master's in journalism and I loved it. And it really, um, I saw this whole other side of me that I didn't even know that I had. And I really kind of came out of my shell from being like a very rather shy person and um, learned so much, gained so many skills and then ended up going to medical school still because even though I love journalism, I kind of felt like, oh, I, I had this dream to become a doctor or felt like. I really wanted to do it and I wanted mm-hmm. to have that side of my, I wanted to have that as part of my life, being a healer, being a physician and um, as part of my identity as well as I thought, well, I can always incorporate journalism in another way, medical journalism or writing about health or, you know, eventually it led to a book and a blog that's been highly successful down the road. But um, sometimes I think, um, when I was in medical school, sometimes I would question myself, am I, you know, do, did I do the right thing? Mm-hmm. And then um, the other thing that happened to me was, um, you know, in high school, I was like, I, you know, you, I think this happens to almost every med student, you know, you excel, right, in mm-hmm. high school and college and undergrad, and you're at the top of your class, like I graduated third in my class in high school at a very competitive high school in, in the area. And um, And then I went on to do well in undergrad and even journalism school. But then you get to med school and it's a whole different (laughs) ballgame. You're like, well, I'm giving this my all. I'm working harder than I have ever worked before in my life, studying more, just racking my head. You know, I'm like, gosh, this is so hard. Like I, I couldn't, I, that's when I started to feel like I wasn't good enough. You Mm -hmm. know, I was like, okay, I was never the ones, you know, getting into uh, AOA or, or whatever, those top, you know, scores or anything like that. I was passing. I was mm-hmm. learning a lot, but I wasn't getting those high, high scores. And, and uh, I would always be the one who was, um, you know, you'd see those. I don't know if you, this happened to you, Kristen, but you'd see those um, students who'd be like done with their tests like so fast. Yes. And then I'm like sitting there using up every minute of time that they give me. I'm like, what's up with these people? Like, how is it that some of these people just get it so easily? Yeah. And then, the, you know, I, I'm test taking wasn't always my best quality. It was okay, but it wasn't like an amazing test taker. And so um, that's when the imposter syndrome, I think, started to set in in terms of just like feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not as smart as the rest of these people, or maybe I'm not good enough. Um, And then sometimes I would try to look for reasons like, oh, this person was like a paramedic or a nurse before they went to med school. That's why it's easy for them, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's when I started to kind of feel that. And it was really when I went into medicine. Up until then, I was, I was, I felt really good. I had really great self-esteem. I felt like... Um, whatever I truly put time and effort into, I could handle and I would be able to do it well. But yeah. medicine really took it to a whole new ballgame. Yeah. And that's so interesting. And it's a common theme you mentioned where the thought or the realization that you have to work hard automatically means that you don't belong somewhere instead of just meaning like it's hard <laughs> to be in medical school. But so many of us felt that same way. It's like, oh, this is hard. So that means I don't belong here instead of just thinking like this is 
this should be hard because I'm going to be a doctor, right? Right, right. It's meant to be hard. It's designed to be hard, right? I mean, there's so much knowledge that you have to gain. And um, I'm really careful about that now as a mom. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I've read the book um, by Carol Dweck um, on mindset, growth mindset. Yeah. Is her book called Mindset? Yeah. Yeah. It's about having a growth mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And realizing um, these terms of, because for so much of our lives, especially those of us who get into medical school, we've been the top of our class. We're used to being the smart one. We're used to like doing all these AP classes and everything being kind of like, we, I always had to work, you know, I, I never, nothing really, I felt came super easy to me. I always had to work for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you go from having this, you know, always being the smart ones to like, okay, I'm average in this group of smart people, like Mm -hmm. super smart people. And that's kind of a change. Right. But, um, but I'm really careful about that with my kids where I try not to label them as like, oh, you're smart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because it actually becomes a crutch because then you get afraid to explore and do challenging work. And so I try to appreciate them for saying like, you know, by saying things like that was challenging and you did it, you know, like you pushed yourself and I know it took work and it was, it pushed your limits, but you grew through it. And I'm really proud of you for that growth. Yeah. I I love that you mentioned that book because I read that book about a year ago and it, it changed everything because certainly I grew up with a fixed mindset, but for me too, it spoke mostly to me as my, as a parent and really kind of working to not exactly like you said, label my kids and making them know like challenges are fun and acceptable. And just because you think something is hard doesn't mean that you shouldn't try at it. So I think that's awesome. Right, Another yeah. um, thing I wanted to mention that you had brought up in the first, when you were first speaking is this really incredible thing that you've done, which is recognize that you can be more than just a doctor, but long before you ever went to medical school with real, with kind of really cultivating this journalism passion that you had, well, how has that affected your medical practice? Yeah. Um, so with writing and specifically, I mean, I, I guess I would say just the whole topic of like knowing I could be more is, mm-hmm. is I think that in medical school, well, first of all, the training is so all encompassing, right? Like mm-hmm. it just takes up so much time to become a doctor. (laughs) Like, I mean, I just, I think we were doing 80, a hundred hours for like years in terms of studying or training, you know, like that was just so all encompassing. So it kind of did. And my my journalism professors would kind of warn me, they're like, well, you know, if you go into medicine, you you may never come back to writing, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're like, you, it's just going to suck you in, you know, (laughs) it's going to become your identity, not only that, but take up all your time, right? And so I kind of worried about that. And I said, what am I ever going to come back? I kept trying to write, though, you know, even when I was in medical school, here and there, some, some articles, and I would submit it to magazines, or, um, Sometimes I would just literally write for myself as mm-hmm. a way to just like decompress yeah. and to process everything that I was going through. I mean, back in the day, I mean, I, I was in med school in like early um, 2000, like I started in 99. So there weren't so the whole concept of blogging wasn't really out there so much. Mm-hmm. It was more like traditional print media, you know. So I ha- wasn't really like blogging or anything. But pro- had I like if I were a student now, I would definitely be bo- blogging. And yeah. that would have been like a really great creative outlet for me. But, um, you know, I think just writing um, is such a great, like I said, an outlet for people to really understand themselves. And and for me, that's the way I process things Mm -hmm. is through writing, because sometimes I have all these thoughts in my head and I can't 
just figure it out, like what it means and what, what importance I'm going to give to certain things. Um, But when I write and have to kind of, that's my way of processing things and trying to explain it to myself and giving it the appropriate meaning that things need. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's how it's kind of allowed me to process things in um, what I've been experiencing in medicine. And then in um, residency, um, one of the things I really loved is about my particular residency was at George Washington University in D.C. is that our residency director had this philosophy of um, it's really important to have a outlet like beyond the clinical practice of medicine, like to to prevent burnout. That was his like, this is how you're going to prevent burnout, especially in emergency medicine, because, you know. People always say there's high rates of burnout in emergency medicine, but actually some of the other fields have higher rates. But, um, you know, he was like, the the key to longevity is really to have something outside of the clinical practice of medicine that you enjoy doing, that you can can, kind of keep your creativity alive or whatever else it is that you want to do. And so he encouraged us to do that. And so for me, it was a clear cut, obvious thing to do, which was medical Mm -hmm. journalism. And so I was able to kind of bring it back in to the fold of things. And it, it was, uh, we did what was called a mini fellowship. So I spent part of my um, third and fourth year of my residency, just focusing in on journalism. And I got to go to ABC news medical unit in Boston and spend a month there as an intern um, writing for them a lot. And then even did some broadcast news with them. And so um, I, I ended up creating a documentary um, that I produced and it was, it was on exercise in pregnancy and um, did like a little bit of a research project as well. And so that was kind of the way I could kind of bring it back in to things. And um, I just think right now there's so much interest, of course, in like us as doctors and what we do and what we're experiencing. So it's really come full circle now with like mm-hmm. writing books and also creating the, the Women in White Codes blog. Yeah, that's really a, such a fascinating journey. And I think that I, I love that your program director made such a big point of that. And that certainly wasn't a message that I got in residency. I don't think many people do, but really powerful because I think especially if you're so focused on just being a physician and that's where you get your fulfillment from, that can be disappointing. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where some physicians struggle where they're not getting that fulfillment and satisfaction that they thought they should be from medicine. And they haven't cultivated anything else in their life for so long. They don't even know where to start. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's the thing. I think that um, so many of us are so talented in other ways. Mm -hmm. And before going into medicine, we had other hobbies, right? Whether it was music or dance or theater or who knows what it could have been. But I remember in med school, we used to have talent shows. And um, I would always sing. I I loved singing too. And so I would sing, but like people would do skits and like do stand up and all sorts of things. I'm like, oh my God, look at all this talent. Like, you know, and because, and of course, like we were all, many of us were raised to be um, well-rounded, so they say, right? Like, so doing not only academics, but also athletics and music or other things and so, or arts, right? And so we had this one, one student, one friend of mine who was an amazing painter, you know, and so Mm -hmm. she would display her art. And so it's just like, there's so much talent amongst us that it's kind of sad in a way when it kind of dies Mm -hmm. with like once we develop our career or go into medicine. But I think like the important message is 
for students and residents who may be listening to this or even attendings is just keep it alive in some shape or form. You know, it doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to be doing performances. You don't have to do anything like a major with it, but just keep it alive for yourself, for your soul, you know, because it feels good to your soul. And um, you never know, things might come around again where um, you do have time again. Like I actually, a couple years ago, I decided to, um, I I cut down my hours clinically and I said, I want to go back to singing. And Mm -hmm. I ended up joining the School of Rock in my area and they had like a band I could just join in and it was like an adult band. (laughs) It's like, this is so fun. I had like the time (laughs) of my life. Like we would do weekly rehearsals and we'd do like a show every quarter and it was a ton of fun. You know, it's like, wow, it just like brought back this whole other side of me, my love of singing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it always like wanted to be in a band, but of course, like never had the time for it. Yeah. So um, I think like the important thing is, and I think that this could um, help people overcome imposter syndrome is just connecting with themselves again. Like yep. who are you genuinely, you mm-hmm. know, at your core? Yeah, exactly. I love that. And so have you always kind of had this passion to be an entrepreneur? Did that come up, come about later on? Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking about this lately because it's it's the funniest thing. It's like when I became a mom, and the entrepreneur in me was born. Like I gave mm-hmm. birth to my kid and I gave birth to the entrepreneur in me, yeah. which is, is so weird. But it's this, um, you know, like you're a mom too, but sometimes something changes in you, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people do the nesting thing or they like start crocheting or like <laughs> getting yeah. really crafty. I remember I started getting crafty too um, when I was pregnant with my first But um, when my son was born, um, I had this, like, I was home with him, and he was, like, under a year old, you know, and I had cut cut down my hours a little bit, but not a lot, but... um, So we we wanted to... We ended up creating this t-shirt company because... um, my son, like we're of Indian background and we wanted to create some like cute t-shirts that had some like Indian sayings on it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I decided to, that I, I couldn't find them anywhere. So I was just going to create them myself. And so I just hired a graphic designer. I got a shop, shop up on um, Cafe Press and it wasn't like super complicated business or anything like that, but um, that actually kind of got my business wheels, entrepreneurial wheels going as a very simple business. Um, and didn't really take up a lot of my time, but it was just like fun. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I love this, like being creative, you know? Yeah. And so um, I ended up, one business kind of led to the next to the next. And um, I've definitely kind of evolved over time, but I um, ended up later becoming a coach and starting my own wellness um, coaching business, which is called Mighty Mom MD. And it really was born out of my own struggle with burnout and Um, the thing that really helped me come out of burnout was I was feeling parental burnout as well Mm -hmm. as um, professional burnout was actually just focusing on my wellness, diving really deep into Mm -hmm. self-care, working out regularly, focusing on my nutrition, really prioritizing my own self-care really helped me a lot. And I also surrounded myself by positive, uplifting people. And so in doing that, I had a coach who helped me do all that. And doing that, I ended up, um, Deciding I also wanted to coach people because as I got results and I lost like 35 pounds because I was like not only feeling burnt out, I was also out of shape um, Mm -hmm. and having trouble losing the baby weight from my two kids that I had pretty close, um, kind of back to back. They're two years apart. And so I was having trouble losing the baby weight, but I I lost the weight 
people were asking me, what are you doing? And um, I said, well, you know what, this is what I'm doing and I'd love to help you. And I decided to become a coach. And so that's kind of where I started to really get, um, get my feet wet with being an entrepreneur. I never mm-hmm. would have imagined it, I guess you would say, Kristen. I mean, back in the day, like I, when I was going to med school or when I was an undergrad, I never would have thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I never had um, any ideas of, you know, getting an MBA or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I did grow up with um, with my dad, who was pretty entrepreneurial himself and had started a number of small businesses um, over the years. And so um, I wasn't afraid of it. Yeah. You know, the idea of being an entrepreneur didn't scare me. I know for some people that seems really scary for them, right? Mm-hmm. But I, um, I, I think that this time right now is such a great time to become an entrepreneur because you can have really low overhead and, yeah. you know, and start an online business. Mm-hmm. And there's so many services out there. It really um, is easier now than yeah. back in the day when my, my dad was trying to start businesses where you had to have more brick and mortar and you had to have more overhead and you had mm-hmm. to stock inventory and all of those kinds of things. Because with my t-shirt business, I never bought, I never had a stock inventory. Like people would just go to the site, they would order, it would get shipped to them, I'd get a commission and that was it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like really simple and really easy. And so it is, it, that's just kind of how things evolved. And then I got involved in um, Women in White Coats and um, with the book project, the first book, and we started to realize that there was more than just a moment in time, you know, it was really a mm-hmm. movement of empowering women doctors, just like you're doing here on this podcast, you know, uplifting and empowering them because so many of us went through in our first book, we wrote about all the different obstacles mm-hmm. that we went through from imposter syndrome to gender pay disparity and yeah. just uh, sexual harassment mm-hmm. and, and all sorts of things that we all went through and that there's so many stories that need to be shared. Yeah. And that's why we um, ended up, instead of, you know, as we wrote that first book, people said, oh, I want to be a part of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, when can I be, you know, is there going to be a, a second book? And we're like, yeah, there will be. But instead of waiting a couple of years to get that second book together, let's start a blog and let's start sharing the stories. And from there, it's really evolved into a community of women doctors. And we've got live events as well as virtual events now and courses and so many different offerings to really help uplift and empower women doctors throughout their career, you know, and yeah, we really wanted to, you know, kind of getting back to imposter syndrome is, is just, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this, Kristen, is just this whole feeling that a medicine, especially in certain fields, can really feel like an old boys club, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we wanted to create um, something that, the equivalent, like a women's yeah. club, like why not have like a women's club um, for women doctors? And that's why we created our Women in White Coats Doctors Lounge to really be like a place where we support and uplift one another through providing master classes and training people um, and also support groups um, and, and giving women doctors information on topics that are relevant to them, yeah. you know, and I know you're going to be talking in there on imposter syndrome, but we've also talked about how to handle sexual harassment from patients. Yeah. We've talked about how to achieve um, financial independence, how to invest in real estate, how to add like lifestyle medicine to your practice or telemedicine. You know, we've talked about all yeah. the things from your career to life to finances. So, um, it's, it's, it's just really amazing when, as an entrepreneur, what I love about being an entrepreneur is you get to solve problems, mm-hmm. you know, and really serve people yep. um, and, and be creative in it. And so I think with medicine, um, I kind of, what I was feeling like I missed in just medicine was that creativity because it can be very mm-hmm. protocols and standard of care yeah. and like 
the creativity to me in medicine, it has to do with the doctor patient relationship. Yeah. But beyond that, I wasn't getting that. I wasn't great getting a, any kind of creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, being an entrepreneur has been like so much fun for me. That's awesome. So was that part of the cause of your burnout? Was that time where you felt like you didn't have an outlet for that part of your personality? Um, perhaps. I mean, I think it was, um, you know, the whole second shift, you know, Mm -hmm. I would go to work and it was a stressful job because, you know, I work in the ER and, um, it's working all sorts of hours and, um, then I would come home and then I'd have my children, you know, before having children, I could kind of rest and recuperate Mm -hmm. and just chill. And the time was like my own, right? Yeah. But when you come home, it's kind of like the second shift and you've got to um, take care of the kids and prepare their food and like get them to bed and like discipline and like teach, you know, try to educate them. There's like so much. And I was like- constantly switching hats. Right. Yeah. Mom, physician mom. Yeah. So I wasn't really like getting the downtime that I needed. And then I think I was also just like feeling pulled in a lot of directions, like career and family. And then, um, yeah, probably, and I just wasn't taking care of myself while, you know, self-care. I just was, I was getting to this really like bitter place and just kind of resenting work Mm -hmm. and then not feeling happy at home either. Even though I, I mean, it was more a mindset thing and me not taking care of my, myself because my yeah. husband was amazing. I like the most amazing supportive husband who's super engaged and helpful. Mm-hmm. We were both working like pretty yeah. much full time and trying to juggle it all. And, you know, we had, luckily my parents lived nearby, so they would help. Um, but it was just uh, the, the common things that new moms feel, I think was mm-hmm. what really kind of, led me to feel burnt out. Like there wasn't enough time. Um, but I've gone through burnout a couple of times in my career, <laughs> but that was the first round of it. But, um, it's, it's, I feel like for any of those people, cause I think sometimes people, and I used to think this is like, Oh, okay. Now I'm over my burnout. I'm good to go, you know, mm-hmm. for the rest of the time. But then you, it can kind of come in cycles, you know, yeah. and I've, um, I've kind of, more recently been experiencing it with COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people are experiencing with COVID, the Absolutely. extra stress of that. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, w- with the field you're in, you probably, you know, you're definitely one of the frontline workers, as people say, and it can feel heavy. And I think if you don't have those really strong habits like you do, it's easy to, to, fe- to get completely overwhelmed with burnout. And mm-hmm. I think the scary thing is that if women don't know about these resources that you're providing them and other people are providing, they don't know where to go for support. So I think that's what's really powerful about your community that you've created is women can have a place to go to feel supported. And also like they're not alone, like completely, like they're not the only one going through that. And I just think that makes such a big difference for so many women physicians. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we hear every time we do an event Mm -hmm. um, with women in white coats. Like we had our in-person event in 2019, which was a wellness retreat. And that was the biggest thing that people said like, oh, wow, I finally feel like I've met people who are like me. Yeah, We're going through all the same things. I'm not alone. Yep. is the biggest thing, you know, and even when we had our spring virtual retreat this year, that was the biggest thing people said, I'm not alone. Like yeah. I, I used to think that this is like a, a secret I needed to hide, yep. to be ashamed of it to mm-hmm. you that there's something wrong with me. But it's like, no, a lot of people are experiencing this. And I mean, even when you look at the statistics of burnout in, in particular, like Medscape yeah. did a survey recently, and it was close to 50%, mm-hmm. 50% 
of women doctors, one in two of us is feeling burnout. And so it's very real. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I think has contributed to the burnout I felt more recently is that I've controlled what I can control, right? Because yeah. burnout is multifactorial. There's like the person and what yeah. you're, you can control. And for me, the first time I went through burnout, I took care of the things I could control, which was my self-care mm-hmm. and taking more time for myself and um, managing my mind, doing some meditation. So I controlled all that stuff. Yeah. But then there's the whole institutional mm-hmm the institutional things that I can't control, like I can't control some of the things that my employer does or the hospital does, or I can't control this pandemic either. So those are things that are beyond my control that are like what's kind of contributing. And, and then I think that sometimes, um, you know, and sadly with all the furloughs that have happened Mm -hmm. and, you know, and in some areas where the patient volume dropped a lot, um, employers were cutting hours or cutting pay, you know, yeah. so that I think makes doctors feel undervalued. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, For here sure. we are being on the front lines, literally putting our lives on yeah. the line, like quite literally in this pandemic, unlike any other time we've ever been asked for before. I've never felt anyone ask me to put my life on the line until this pandemic, Mm -hmm. but like now we literally are. And then for an employer to say, well, it's just about our bottom line and Mm -hmm. like, we've got to conserve cash and like, you know, we're going to cut your hours, which effectively cuts our pay, you know, or withhold certain benefits for right now. I mean, it's just the actions, even though they keep sending these like, you know, emails and stuff that, oh, you guys are courageous and you're heroes. It's like the actions don't back up those Correct. words. And it, it can mm-hmm. certainly lead to doctors feeling undervalued, un- unappreciated for what they're doing. Meanwhile, like at our hospital, nurses were getting bonuses and things like that. Mm-hmm. We were getting our pay cut. And so, um, you know, if anybody's experiencing that now, especially burnout due to some of these reasons, it's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. One last thing and I'll let you go. I don't want to be respectful of your time. What advice would you give to those people who kind of have that entrepreneurial bug, but are scared to get involved? What would you say to them to kind of encourage them to take that first leap? Yeah, I think that it really is just about doing it, starting small, you know, Mm -hmm. just start small. Don't go all, don't go like crazy and invest like $100,000 or something in some business, you know, like (laughs) literally start small. Um, I just recently heard this talk from um, uh, the Netflix founder, I forget his name, but he was talking about the same thing. He's like, you have a business idea, just start, literally start small. Like he was talking Mm -hmm. about this, uh, somebody he was mentoring who wanted to start like a rent the runway type of thing, but like where people rented clothes to each other, like kind of like Uber style, Mm -hmm. you know, like, (laughs) like they would literally rent their clothes. And so he was like, and she was a college student and he was like, go hang up a sign on your dorm door and say, do you want to borrow my clothes, you know, Mm -hmm. and see what happens, you know, because he's like, when you do that, start small and just like for the cost of a piece of paper and some tape and a marker, Mm -hmm. you can start your business and hang up the sign. And and then you're going to learn so much, right? Like when you, because you'll be like, oh, okay, nobody wants to borrow my clothes. And, but that's because like they didn't fit them or like I borrowed this, I lent this to somebody and then they returned it back to me and it's like stained or ripped, mm-hmm. you know, like you're going to learn all yeah. the pain points or all the like bugs that need to be fixed in your model, just starting small. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's such a great point, you know? And, um, you know, just start somewhere, start small, take the small steps, you know, like if you want to, you know, start a podcast, just 
go out there and do it. Start small. Don't feel like you have to put out a recording like every day, you mm-hmm. know, do like once a month and then just, you're going to learn along the way. I think that the thing is that you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have a vision, a drive of what, you know, and a passion for it, what yeah. you want to do. And you're going to learn, be open to learning, have that growth mindset. You're going to learn everything you need to know along the way. And, you know, I think the big thing is like not being afraid of failure because I've really shifted my mindset on that. Like, I don't really see, I don't really think of the world, like what, anything I do is failure anymore. Yeah. I just think of it as like a growth opportunity. Like, okay, yeah. well, I learned another way that maybe it shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things I could take away from this. And I'm going to take those things and run with it. I'm just going to keep going until I get to the goal that I want to have. So I think starting small, don't be afraid of failure. And, and all, honestly, I kind of like don't even use that word in yeah. my terminology anymore. And I think a huge thing is just keep growing. And I'm a huge advocate of personal development. And I spend a lot of time growing my mindset, mm-hmm. um, reading good books um, that really help me grow and work on areas that I need to grow in. And I, I take a ton of courses to develop mm-hmm. myself. Um, but you know, don't just, cause sometimes people get stuck in that and just like keep learning, learning, learning and never yep. take action, but you've got to take action. Like yep. taking action is key. Cause Absolutely. the thing is like, especially now things evolve so quickly, like you got to move on your idea because mm-hmm. six months from now, it could be like a totally different ball game. So, yeah. but just get started and see how things go and, and evolve and um, seek out mentors and coaches. Cause that's definitely what I've done. Mm-hmm. And that's so invaluable to have a coach who can guide you and help you see your blind spots. Cause no matter how much we learn, we can't always see our own blind spots mm-hmm. and like areas of weakness or things that we may not be seeing, you know, it's mm-hmm. literally cause it's a blind spot. Like just like you have a blind spot in a car, like you have your own personal blind spots that you can't mm-hmm. see, but others can see in you. So um, those are some of my tips for people who want to become an entrepreneur. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Archana, for your time. It was a great conversation and I look forward to learning more from you on your blog and everywhere else. (laughs) Thank you. It's so great talking to you, Kristen. I appreciate it. One more thing before you go. I wanted to tell you about the amazing course I just put together and is available now and live at the lowest price I'll ever offer it. And it is all about how to coach yourself. So if you have been considering getting a coach, haven't been able to commit, worried about the financial investment, or just not quite sure if it's the right thing for you yet, then self-coaching is a really, really good place to start. It's exactly where I started my journey to becoming the confident and fulfilled physician that I am today and living with intention and living with purpose. For the past two years, have been working on material that I could offer other women to help them to get to where I am because there's nothing special about me. Anyone can feel this way with the proper tools and that's what self-coaching provides. So it is an in-depth and complete look into self-coaching, including what it is, why it's so important, all the tools that you need to know about self-coaching, and even a special module designed just to help you to solve your biggest everyday problems, including imposter syndrome, which so many of us struggle with. It also includes access to the private Facebook group where you can ask questions or seek support. 
And the part I'm most excited about is the opportunity to hop on group coaching calls every month where we can talk about specific problems that you're having. It's a safe environment where I can give you some personalized help and support as you go along this course and well beyond. Check out the link in the show notes page for this one-of-a-kind self-coaching course. It's designed mostly geared towards physician women or professional women who are struggling in their day-to-day life with a feeling of lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're going through life, reacting to everybody else's problems and no real direction for where your own life is going. I can help you get there and self-coaching is the way to do it.